Thank you, team. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, everybody. Please take your seats. It's lovely to be with you here on a Sunday morning, the 2nd of April. We're in April already, uh, which is incredible. We're going to jump right in this morning. I don't know if it's happened to you, uh, but many times around Easter or Christmas, particularly Christian uh, seasons, I have people in my world who maybe don't come to church or know Jesus ask me questions, uh, do I follow any of these particularly um, religious kind of rituals, like do I uh, eat fish on Good Friday? Now, my answer actually is yes, not for any religious reasons. I have no moral objection for eating red meat uh, on Good Friday. But you're always going to gar- be guaranteed lots of variety and really fresh stuff because like so many people have fish on Good Friday. So I go to town on Good Friday. I like get the fish, the calamari, the prawns, potato scallops more than the, the chips. I mean, come on. It's just when they make them themselves too, like come on. Anyone with me? Potato scallops all the way. The rest of you are trying to pretend that you're healthy eaters. I see you. I see you. (laughs) Um, But maybe other things like do I adhere to Lent or do I go to Midnight Mass? Um, One particular ritual we're actually going to talk about this morning called Palm Sunday. Hence, the palms. Today is actually Palm Sunday. And for those who don't know what Palm Sunday is, it's the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. And it's the day that we uh, commemorate and remember Jesus's uh, triumphant entry into Jerusalem, marked in the scriptures. Now, it's also known as Passion Sunday, or this is a tongue twister, Palm Sunday of the Passion of Our Lord. Uh, that's a really long name, uh, but it all means the same thing. Uh, and it kicks off Holy Week, which is a more traditional observance of the last week of Jesus. Uh, and it, and over the years, it sort of started in the third century, these observances of Palm Sunday. Over the years, it's had uh, quite elaborate versions, but it's settled down to a very simplified version where it sort of starts with a blessing Then it goes into reading the account of Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Then it goes into a procession, which is like a parade um, through uh, the town um, where people have palm branches. They might have put them together with some rope, uh, laid them on the ground or just held them in their hand um, to signify what happened on that day, which we're going to... We're going to get to the account really soon. So stick with me if you're not familiar with it. Then they have lots of singing. And then they uh, read the Passion of Christ, which is actually the account found in Scripture of Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion. So that pretty much wraps up Palm Sunday. Why palms? Because in Jewish culture, palms represent triumph and victory. So they thought that was appropriate to honour, in their minds, King Jesus on that day. Now, don't... Don't get me wrong, Holy Week is a tradition that the church has built. You won't actually find it in Scripture. Uh, Religious leaders of the past have seen these accounts and seen these events take place and decided to put some ordinances around it. Now, it's not something that we would traditionally uh, adhere to, I guess, here at Civic, but I do want to talk about it today uh, because I think there's some truths in Palm Sunday account uh, that may be a bit hidden under the surface, but they're relevant to us this morning. I hope you're with me. 
The title of my message, if you're following along at home or perhaps you've opened up the YouVersion Bible app to check out the notes there, you'll see it there. It's called the Palm Sunday Paradox. Now, a paradox is actually something that seems contradictory, but really there's a truth hidden under there. It might seem at odds with one another, but there is truth to be found if you look deeper. And I think that's absolutely true for Palm Sunday. I think there are lessons to learn about the heart of God that might not uh, seem obvious at first. In fact, they might seem quite contradictory to uh, the rituals um, that so many celebrate. So to begin... We're going to jump into Matthew's account of Palm Sunday. You'll actually find uh, the account of Jesus entering into the city in all four Gospels, uh, but we're going to check out Matthew's account this morning. Big, bunk, uh, big chunk of scripture, so stick with me. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, which we now know is Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Good disciples. They brought the the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the gra- on the road. The, Jew- the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Can you see the scene unfolding? It is a joyous occasion. You've got the whole city abuzz. You've got disciples that have come with Jesus from Galilee. You've got some of his followers that have joined him from Bethany that have just seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. So they're on cloud nine. Then you've got the whole crowd from Jerusalem coming out to greet him on the street. And everybody is just, it's just electric. You've got this whole city that is ablaze. And this city is, uh, is a melting pot of different kinds of people. As they walk and as they sing, they stir the whole city. You've got the Romans who at the moment control uh, Jerusalem. They're stirred with concern for a possible uprising. You've got the Pharisees who are the religious leaders at the time. They're stirred with malice and envy. Who is this Jesus? Who does he think that he is? Then you've got the Herodians, which is a political party that are, are loyal to Herod. They're stirred with a fear of control, of change of government. We don't know what this means for us. And then you've got pretty much us, everybody else in the city who are stirred with hope that finally the long-awaited Messiah has finally come to deliver us. The disciples have laid their coats on the donkey for Jesus to ride on. So the crowd get inspired and they do the same. They place their coats and palm branches and all kinds of other branches on the ground, which was an ancient practice reserved for high royalty in Israeli culture. The atmosphere is electric and expectant. 
By the time of Christ, everyone was anticipating this political Messiah to come on the scene and to deliver them from Roman control and reestablish David's kingdom. And many thought that it was Jesus, but he just didn't, he just didn't seem like the Messiah that they thought. He didn't do the things that they thought he would do. He didn't say the things or behave in a way or respond in ways. So they just weren't really sure. But this style of entrance into the holy city with singing and palm branches and coats on donkeys, (laughs) this entrance made it really clear that Christ was now assuming all of the titles and all of the recognition of Messiah. Hope explodes from the people, and so it's just one big party when they walk into the city. They believe that their Messiah has finally come. They have waited for so, so long. I hope that you're seeing this picture in your mind, because I think we can see it in one way, but what's really happening underneath the surface, this is where the paradox comes into. It would actually be entirely different to what they thought. What God wanted to show them and what God wanted to teach them was entirely different to what they had first expected because Jesus came to fulfill scripture in obedience to God's plan, not to fulfill their expectation. So the Palm Sunday paradox. I've got three things this morning of things that I've learnt and so I'm hoping that I'm sharing and encouraging you as well that Palm Sunday reveals about the king and his kingdom. Let's dive in, hey? First one, God's kingdom is backwards. His kingdom is backwards. Jesus spent most of his ministry trying to help people understand the ways of the kingdom of God, which seemed to fly in the face of the ways of the culture at the time or the world uh, understanding. People now, thinking Jesus was king in their eyes, uh, thought that he would ride into Jerusalem like a Jewish soldier on a war horse, ready to take Rome down with force and flair. But to their surprise, he comes on a donkey, like a donkey, (laughs) A a colt, which is a foal of a donkey. So these animals weren't suited for battle. They weren't ready for war. They were bringers of peace. Throughout history, they bore messengers of peace into battle or on on, um, errands. What was Jesus doing on a donkey? What was he doing on this beast? He, He clearly isn't following the rules here. The Jews knew the prophecies far better than anybody else. The prophecies that Matthew mentioned in, uh, in his account in Zechariah, the prophecies in Isaiah and in um, the Psalms as well, they've been around for centuries. They probably learnt them, they probably memorised them. Yet how did they know the words yet miss the heart of what was really trying to be communicated? Because it was different to their expectation, which was now so ingrained that it became their reality. They saw what they wanted to see on that day. They saw a political king in splendor and pomp rather than a sacrificial lamb coming in humility and peace. Jesus would reign in all power and authority when all said and, uh, when all was said and done but through a completely different mechanism than what they had expected. And I am sure, it's not mentioned in scripture, but I'll take a little leniency here. I am sure that as he was riding in and receiving all of this praise and all of this recognition, Jesus was thinking, if only you knew, if only you understood what was coming ahead for me and for you, if only you had grasped what was really happening here, I think this might be a different scene. 
And they did see that. As the week went on, their dreams turned into disappointment and despair as Jesus remained silent in his defense, allowed all the horrors of the crucifixion and died a gruesome death. Galatians 3.13, Paul says it this way, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs crucified on a tree. God's kingdom is backwards, usually totally different to what we would expect. The way of the king and his kingdom is triumph through humiliation, reigning in peace. Pastor Brennan shared a message, uh, the first one, I believe, of the year, uh, uh, titled Defeating the Power of Humiliation. Incredible message if you haven't had a chance to catch up. Uh, Quite prophetic, actually, as he shared about uh, how we believe the church is now entering this phase or entering a season of humiliation and lessons that we can learn from Jesus' life on how he responded to this so that we can be equipped heading into this season. Really powerful message. Uh, because Jesus is our example in humiliation. I mean, he was born into it. He, born, he came to a manger. And then all through his ministry life, uh, he uh, had rejection after rejection. People just didn't accept who he was. And then, of course, the cross, which is the power of humiliation at its best or at its worst, however you see that. And yet, he would triumph through humiliation. I think to me, Palm Sunday is a glaring reminder that God's kingdom is backwards to what the world culture would propagate. There's a song called Simple Kingdom by Brian and Katie Torwalt and Cody Carnes that sums it up well. They say, your kingdom is backwards. It flows in reverse. What you call a treasure, this world calls a curse. The small become great and the last become first. Your kingdom is backwards. Lord, teach us to serve. As it is with your kingdom, let it be with your church. Let it be with us, right, church? Let us constantly remind ourselves that God's kingdom is is counterculture to what we would sense in the world, that what surrounds us and suffocates us. His kingdom is one of humility and not of pride. His His kingdom is one of peace and not of force. His kingdom is one of service and not superiority. And we are the bringers of this kingdom to earth, to the world today. So let it be with us. This is something that I've learnt from Palm Sunday. Still with me? Yeah, awesome. (laughs) Second one, God's timing is perfect. Why did Jesus spend most of his ministry life Uh, telling people to keep quiet about who he was, not letting them really share who who he was and and what he was about, to only in uh, one day have it turn on its head and suddenly uh, be happy enough to accept all of the uh, recognition and all of the praise. Uh, Even when the Jewish leaders at the time were saying, Jesus, can you shut up your disciples? Can you shut up your followers? Because, you know, what they're saying is heresy. And Jesus said, no, I can't, I won't quiet them. Because even if they are silent, then the rocks are going to cry out. Um, This is the time to recognize that I am Messiah. He spent most of his ministry shutting that recognition down. But on Palm Sunday, he allowed it to be shout out because he knew it was time. 
It was the right time for this. God's timing is perfect. It wasn't right any earlier. Uh, It's too late later on. The time was now and Jesus knew that. God had a perfect plan and he had a perfect way to outwork that plan. And Jesus was holding on to that ever since he came to earth. In fact, even before that, the Apostle John actually says that the lamb was slain before the foundations of the earth. But Jesus had to physically walk this crucifixion out. So he came, he lived a sinless life, he spent his years ministry, time and time again, waiting for that green light from God. And I'm sure, again, it's not in scripture, but I'm sure he was like, you know, a kid on a long trip and I'm mindful of all you parents heading away for Easter holidays, going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Surely it's time. Surely we're there. Can we be there? I'd really like to be there. Are we there yet? But Father just kept saying, not yet, soon, not yet. And so Jesus had to wait because God saw that there were things that he needed to do and things that needed to happen in order for that whole law to be fulfilled, in order for every prophecy to be fulfilled, which is what Jesus came to do, which was going to take time and tactic. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Jesus replied, not even to a question at this point, he just said, seemingly, to the atmosphere in John 12, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. He wasn't in conversation. He wasn't answering a question. He just was meditating and just knew now's the time. There's no hint at it in scripture. There's no building music like in a movie that you know something's going to go down. It just appears because it was the right time. For years it had been not yet, not yet, not yet now. And that's what happens in the timing of God, right? I can attest to that. You can attest to that. God has a perfect time. And Palm Sunday to me shows us again that uh, God's timing uh, is, is so important and he has a perfect timing for all of his plans. So what does that mean for us in 2023? Often we don't know what God's up to, right? Anybody? No? Sometimes he tells us, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he gives us a little picture. Sometimes he gives us a bigger picture. He never gives us the whole picture. Rarely gives us the timing of every single step. We don't know what his plan is, but we know that he has a plan and we know that it's a perfect plan and he's got a way to perfectly execute that plan if we only willingly obey just like Jesus. And I think the onus is on us not to get carried away with our own expectation of what should happen or when it should happen. I think we're ready, we think we're ready far earlier than when God knows we're ready, right? (laughs) Just me? Okay, that's just me. (laughs) Uh, I know that there have been times in my life where I thought, yep, God, you've given me a plan and I, this is the time and I'm just going to outwork that. Uh, And he's like, no, 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 I haven't given you the timing yet. You need to wait. Uh, You know what you need to do, but wait for me for the timing. So many times it's not the right time until it is. And then suddenly it happens. There's no suddenlies in God. There's always a backstory, (laughs) but suddenly it happens in ways and means that we don't expect that bring about results that blow our minds if we only trust him with his perfect timing. Amen. The last one, the last thing that I see in Palm Sunday is God's grace is abundant. This one kind of floored me. 
The whole Bible talks about the grace of God. Like from beginning to end, you will find it. For those people who tell me that there's no grace in the Old Testament, that God suddenly had a personality change between the old and the new, um, please read it again through the eyes of Jesus. Uh, There is grace there and there is bucket loads of grace all through Scripture. And one way that I think we can see his grace at work on Palm Sunday is through a statement that Jesus makes. He doesn't actually say much from when he enters into Jerusalem to when he's on the cross. So this is really significant that he uttered these words. In Luke 19, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it and the spiritual ignorance of its people, saying, if only you had known on this day of salvation, even you, the things which make for peace and on which peace depends. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. This is a devastating moment for Jesus that gets lost in the demonstrations of the people. He is heartbroken for his city. He is heartbroken for his people, for the state of their heart and for the future that's ahead of her because he knows that in only a few decades after his death, the city's going to be sieged. And everything that they know of Israel is going to change. The first Palm Sunday includes this lament, I think, on purpose, that the calls to peace and to repentance had been ignored. And this is Jesus' moment to express his heartbreak over this. Being fully God and fully man, neither being compromised, Jesus knew the hearts of people. Sure, they were celebrating him now, uh, but that's a superficial celebration that doesn't even last a week. (laughs) His arrival into the city was anything but triumphant. In his own heart, he was full of sorrow, and and so he wept. He doesn't rage. He doesn't thunder in to do business with the people. He doesn't uh, challenge their hearts. His response is grace. Oh, if only, if only you'd listened. If only you heeded the call. If only this things could be different. And he weeps. He has this moment of extended grace again. You'd think he'd be over it by now. I mean, his whole ministry years, uh, he'd just been coming up against the Jews, coming up against the, the people of Jerusalem, coming up against the people that would say, you, you know, you're not it. You're doing all the things wrong. You'd think that he would just say, you know what? You deserve everything that's coming to you. You know what? I'll wash my hands of you. Today is the day where I just go, I quit. (laughs) But God's grace doesn't do that. It never, ever ends. In his last days, he would lament and say, oh, if only, if only you listened, if only you reached out, if only you accepted my offer of relationship, things could be different. This is the nature of God's grace. You'll never, ever find the end of it. Grace can grieve. Grace hurts, but grace never ends. In exactly the same way that Jesus didn't come in as a warrior, king to fight for Israel's king, uh, freedom, he didn't come as a condescending Messiah, ready to spit condemnation on those who didn't believe in him. His heart bled for people, just like his body would days after that. Team, come and join me up on the platform. This is the true heart of the Saviour that entered Jerusalem that day, a humble king who says, oh, my heart is for you. I'm going to extend grace even to the end. 
I'm going to give you all of me. Grace that's real and raw and grieves and hurts but never quits, never gives up. Even if we think they deserve it. Even if we think, surely, Jesus, you've reached your limit. He never does and he never has and he never will. So for us, I think it's a weighty reminder first that we have this grace. My goodness, we have this grace extended to us that no matter what we do, no matter what we've done, no matter if we do it over and over and over and over again, God's grace doesn't quit on us. God's grace will never, we can never ever find the end of it, no matter what we do. That is incredible. But also the onus on us to then extend that grace to others in our lives, which we can't do ourselves. We find the end of our patience much quicker. (laughs) But God's grace, you never find the end of it. God's grace has that staying power, that stamina. And so we need to lock into that. And love people with this kind of grace that says, no matter if it costs me tears, no matter if I'm going to lament over this, no matter if I think you deserve something completely different, I'm going to extend grace to you. Amazing, right? The grace of God is abundant and it's abundant to me, it's abundant to you, and it's abundant to everybody in our world. The Palm Sunday paradox, three things that seem contradictory, but the truths are in there. God's kingdom is backwards. It flows in reverse. God's timing is perfect. And God's grace is abundant. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray with us before we wrap up our Palm Sunday morning. And I hope that I don't know, I'm going to look at Palm Sunday differently from now on and I hope that's given you some encouragement, maybe some things to chew on, to read the scriptures. We totally uh, encourage you to study your own, uh, have your own study of the scriptures, to dive in yourself uh, and to learn about the heart of God. My mission this morning was to reveal Jesus, to reveal his heart to you, to be encouraged, to uh, give you something that maybe you hadn't seen before of the heart of God. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you so much for revealing who you are more today. God, we know that that's our security. That's our safe place. We want to know you more, Jesus, and we want to conform to your image more. So help us continually understand that your kingdom is backwards, that you have a way to do things God, that is perfect. Uh, Help us to, to seek your heart on that. We thank you, God, that your timing is perfect. And we pray, God, that you just encourage us again, even on words that you've given us or promises that you've made that we haven't yet seen fulfilled. God, we trust you again with your timing on that. God, help us to, to look to you and to be obedient to your green light. And we thank you, God, that your grace is abundant first to us. We thank you again, Jesus, for your amazing grace. Honestly, help us live out of that, God. Help us extend that grace to others, even when we don't think they deserve it, even when it costs us something. Help us, God, extend it in exactly the way that you did. We thank you for these lessons and we pray that they help us grow more in you and love others better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Well, I hope you didn't check out a couple of minutes into uh, my message because you were keen on hot cross buns. <laughs> but your time has come. Um, we get to go and enjoy hot cross buns together as a family and, of course, Easter uh, next week. Uh, so see you uh, at Picnic Point, 6 a.m. on Good Friday. Thanks, guys.